morning. You can tell when the pastor's gone, can't you? Yeah, him and Sherry up having a little vacation, so he asked me to preach. I'm always glad when he does, so glad to be here. The Lord really put a, a message on my heart that I feel like is so, so important. You know, with everything going on with Israel and Gaza and, and, uh, and war is awful, but the terrible things that are happening there, I don't know about you, but it makes me kind of wonder where we are on the prophetic timeline. Has anyone else kind of felt that way? Like, Man, I, I mean, from creation to the second coming of Christ, where are we? Because if I knew where we were, it helped me to plan better. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, some of your children says, hey, I just got a scholarship to Clemson for a four-year degree. And you look at the prophetic timeline and say, no, baby, two years, Midlands Tech. I'm sorry. <laughs> Not enough time. But the good thing is, is that what makes me feel better, I should say, is that, um, is that the disciples were the same way. You know, they wanted to know, when they were with Jesus in the book of Acts, right before he ascended into heaven, they asked him the same thing. They said, hey, Jesus, this time that you're going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus responded to them. He said, you know, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. In fact, you won't know where we are on the prophetic timeline. He says, but know this, that uh, you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will have power, right? You have power to be witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. What Jesus was really kind of telling them there was that he said, it's not for you to know the time. He says, but... What it is important for you to know and to do is that you are salt and you are light. So go out there and be salt and light. Don't worry about the times or the seasons. What you need to worry about, what you need to be concerned with is are you being salt and light? And boy, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's really almost like uh, exciting to read Acts. As you see the church starting there in Jerusalem and just going out to the ends of the earth going into cities and communities and transforming those communities. In Thessalonica, when they went in there, the leaders of that city said, they're turning the world upside down. The power of the church. I just wonder if anyone would say that about the church today, that they're turning the world upside down. What do you think? You think the church is turning the world upside down? Here in America? I don't know. It's all part of Loudoun County, Virginia. They've become popular because of the uh, cover-up and things they did of crimes over there, the school board. Right now, though, they're building restrooms in that couple of high schools there in the county with doors that go from the uh, floor all the way to the ceiling so that transgender students can use the bathroom of their choice. This comes in this same county just two years after a nine-year-old girl was raped by a boy in a skirt. There's a group the New York Post talks about. They're called Drag Story Hour NYC. They received $46,000 of city contracts for appearances in public schools. In fact, they've received $207,000 since 2018. 
the group has, according to their website, put on 49 programs in elementary, middle, and high school. In Tennessee, you may have heard a judge, a federal judge, just recently issued an injunction against the state's ban on chemically castrating and sterilizing minors. This is all happening. This is recent events, guys. You know, we all celebrated the Dodd decision, didn't we? That was great. The uh, issue of abortion was pushed back to the states where I believe it belongs. <laughs> but in five of the six elections where abortion was forefront, in five of the six elections, the pro-abortion side won. Just recently, did you read in Ohio? A, a state that voted Republican in the last presidential election just set in concrete in their state constitution the right for a woman to have an abortion. Now, I could say a lot more things about our society, crime statistics that have gone up, suicides that have gone up, drug ODs that have gone up. All of these things are happening right now around us. But I bring up the children because, because of what Jesus says in the Gospels about children. I think it's specifically pertinent to where we are because we see the attack on our children. Jesus says, uh, he said this, he says, let the little children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. They're important to him. Jesus values children, doesn't he? In the Gospel of Luke, I mean, sorry, the Gospel of Matthew, he says this, and anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. You know what I get from that passage? That what we're seeing happening to children, it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck and be thrown in the middle of the ocean. Judgment comes to those who hurt ch children. I think God has really been warning us about this. I mean, I think if you are spiritually sensitive to kind of what's going on, I think that maybe you would see even the forewarnings of God's judgment. Honestly, I believe COVID was kind of a wake-up call. You remember when you went into the grocery store not too many years ago and the shelves were empty? Do you remember that? I was shocked. America, the land of plenty, and they were low or out of chicken, beef. You had to mortgage your house to get a roll of toilet paper. They had Facebook groups trying to collect baby formula it lasted for just a short time but it's enough to let me know I hope it lets you know we're not secure because there's money in the bank account man the snap of his fingers God could bring this country to its knees but the problem is the church goes on kind of like skipping along the joyful path, you know, as if everything is just hunky-dory, that everything is just normal. 
I know some of you would say, well, you know what the problem is? People have gone absolutely crazy, stark, raving, mad. That's what the problem is. All these secular people, their secular thoughts and atheistic thoughts and humanistic and progressive and woke thoughts, they're the ones who's messing everything up. But I don't blame them. I don't want you to take this wrong. I don't blame them. Because you know why? Because the lost acts lost. (laughs) The lost are always going to act lost. I blame the church because we're the salt and we're the light. There was one pastor who said so, so rightly. He said, when you walk into a dark room and flip the light switch, and the light doesn't come on, you don't curse the darkness. You say, what's wrong with the light switch? (laughs) I feel too many people are cursing the darkness in our country. And the question we ought to be asking is, what is wrong with the light switch? I think something is wrong with the church. We are the light of the world. If there's no light, that is not the fault of the darkness. You know, the church, in many ways, has put a basket over the lamp, over the light, and then complained, it's too dark. (laughs) It really is up to the church to be the salt. A society is preserved by the salt. We are the salt. You are. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you are the light of the world. You're the salt. I think the church needs to be relit. You know what I mean? (laughs) Would you agree with that? I think the church needs to be relit. I mean, the pilot light's on, but there ain't no gas. (laughs) It's like uh, we need the Holy Spirit to get the defibrillator paddles, man, and put them right on the heart of the church. Let God hit the go button. (laughs) We need to be revived. It's a revival that we need. A guy who wrote on Spurgeon history, Spurgeon, he he talked about this. He said, many of Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher back in the early 1900s in Great Britain. Many of Spurgeon's contemporaries thought the crying need of the church was better technology, dynamic preachers, bigger buildings, better finances, beautiful worship, Efficient societies or countless other church growth ideas. But Spurgeon cut through that confusion and pinpointed the one need of every church in every generation, revival. The fundamental need of the church is for God to awaken preachers to the glories of the gospel, to awaken Christians to holiness and prayer, convict sinners and bring them to saving faith in Christ and raise up workers for the harvest. So what is revival? Well, revival basically just means to come to life. Someone who's nearly dead that comes back to life is said to be revived. 
to have revival. Some of y'all may remember a good friend of many of ours who right down this aisle, right down here, collapsed and fell down. Medical people said, he's not going to make it. He's dead. (laughs) But he was revived. He's with us today. He came back to life. And that's what needs to happen to the church. The church in many ways, looks like it's dead, but it needs to be revived. And folks, we need to pray. We need to long for revival. The problem is the church almost appears comatose. Now, I'm not saying there's not bright spots. There are. I think Northside is a bright spot, but we can be more powerful in our life for Jesus Christ. We can have greater impact on this community. I would love for the Lexington Town Council to say, Northside's turned the world upside down. (laughs) But too much for like the church in Laodicea. Listen to what Jesus wrote to this church or what Jesus said to this church. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And yet, you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. The church was deceived. The Laodicean church was deceived. They thought they were okay, even prospering. But they were blind to their real condition. Listen, until the church comes to realize its spiritual poverty, it will never begin to look for the true Riches in Christ. In our passage this morning, we'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 7, if you want to turn there. We'll look at the nation of Israel that needs a revival. They need to be revived. They had all the signs of spiritual darkness already in one of the tribes of Israel. Some men had brutally raped and murdered a woman And they wanted to protect the rapists. Some of the leaders, the religious leaders in Israel at this time were committing adultery, were taking bribes, were perverting justice. They treated God like he was some magical genie who responds to the the, snap of their fingers. They were in a battle with the Philistines and they weren't doing so well. You know what they said? Let's get the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant is something that really symbolized the presence of God. They said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant and we'll take that in there and then we'll win. Then we'll have victory. They took the Ark of the Covenant because they thought God was their little magical genie that was going to meet every want they possibly had and they were defeated The Ark of the Covenant was taken. 
People died. Hey, look, God, can I tell you something? God will not be trifled with. He's, he's not our magical genie. He doesn't respond to our commands. We respond to his commands. He's Lord. And they were treating him as if they were his Lord. I think one of the wives of the priests probably described this time as uh, succinctly as you could. She was dying while she was giving childbirth and they asked the midwives asked her what do you want to name the child she said name him Ichabod which means the glory of the Lord has departed oh man how I pray that Ichabod would not be the name of this generation How do we get the glory back? How do we get the light turned back on and and shining brightly? Well, Gypsy Smith, you may have heard the name. He's a great preacher in a former revival. Uh, He said this, if you really, really want revival, do this. Go to your room and draw a big circle. And then he said, step in the circle Get on your knees and pray, dear God, let revival begin in this circle. It begins with you and me. First thing we got to look at is the revival for the believer. And so let's start in 1 Samuel Samuel chapter 7, verse 2. It says, the ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time. Now let me just explain that. The Philistines had captured the ark. They won the battle to capture the ark. They realized they don't want to mess with God, okay? It's causing them all sorts of problems. So they put the ark uh, on a wagon, some oxen, and the oxen went away into Israel. Eventually, the ark got to this place, Kiriath-Jerim. And it was a long time there, 20 years in all. And during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. It seemed the Lord had abandoned them, but the truth is they had abandoned the Lord. (laughs) They were no longer experiencing the blessings, and it just seemed that the Lord had abandoned them. But they were, all of them had idols. They were like, they had one foot on the earth and trying to keep one foot in heaven and trying to straddle the fence, and they were wondering why God has abandoned them. Why aren't they being blessed? But I will say this. They had changed in one unique way at this time. And that was they recognized that something was missing. They recognized that something was missing. Let me ask you, do you feel uh, fulfilled with the direction of your life in Christ? You know, the great problem is that there's a lot of people who are okay. And they're kind of satisfied. I mean, they got money in the account, so they feel secure there. They got a nice house. Uh, they got a car. They got a job. So we're just doing. We're just doing the life, man. We're just going. And the problem is, is really what you call that is not life. You call that existence. And they are simply existing. 
they don't have joy that goes down to the very core of their being. They don't have joy that is there regardless of circumstances. Their joy is dependent upon their circumstances. And they're just living life. They're just taking in oxygen and breathing out CO2. Their lives literally have no impact for the kingdom. Hardly at all. None. But not here. Israel, they begin to say, man, something, something is wrong. <laughs> We're not experiencing the blessings of God. Do you think America is really experiencing the blessings of God right now? Man, I, what I read is most churches are losing members hand over fist. There's less people that believe in God today than almost any time in our history. We need the blessings of God. The thing is, we're all living our lives, and it's kind of like, and, I, and you've probably heard this illustration before, but it's kind of like we're all climbing the ladder of success, right? We're going up that ladder. And let me tell you what the issue is going to be, is one day you're going to get to the top of the ladder, and you're going to realize it's leaning against the wrong building. <laughs> I mean, I've been living my life. For what? The gold watch at retirement? Give me a break. I can't say this more importantly or more intensely enough. There is nothing, nothing more important than living your life for Jesus Christ. Living for his kingdom, not the kingdom of this earth. But so many times we're just climbing the ladder and we're not even really sure what's going on. What are you living for? Let me ask you that. What are you living for? If your life is not hid with Christ and God, living for him, then can I tell you something? You're living for rubbish. That's what the Bible calls it, rubbish. In fact, it could be translated something worse than that, but I won't say it. Rubbish, trash. Some of you are here this morning, and maybe you're not doing so well. You say, I'm not the one who thinks I'm doing great, but you're basing... <laughs> You're not doing well on worldly things. I don't have enough money. I don't have the car I want. I don't have the job I want. And you're not satisfied, but your life, not live for the glory of Christ, may not bother you just as much as it should. Israel, they turned from the Lord. Where I talked about the woman raped and murdered, and they are hiding the guilty people. Religious leaders, they didn't preach the truth, man. They were compromised. Have you not seen that in the American church? Many denominations no longer live by the word of God. They're ordaining homosexuals. They're calling a homosexual partnership a marriage which we've never seen in the history of this world. That that would be called marriage. The Bible's clear that that's not true. You can see churches here in our own community that support that who are no longer living by the word of God, but by their own preconceived notions of what God should be like. The enemy seems victorious. The people trying to live with a mixture of idols and following God, that never works. You can't keep one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. You've got to make a choice. And let me just ask you, have you had enough? Have you? Or is it just okay? I mean, if you're not fully, wholly, passionate 
devoted to Jesus Christ, the King, and His kingdom, that is the, that is the best thing. <laughs> that is the most wonderful thing. They had, they had had enough, the children of Israel. They mourned, it says, they lamented. This is a deep emotional response that they're having. And so Samuel tells them, basically says, okay, he says, you really mean this. You've had enough just living, just existing. Then I'll tell you what you need to do. You see that in verse, verse 3. He says, Samuel said to all the people of, the, of Israel, if you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, get rid of the foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. Then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshipped only the Lord. Now you notice Samuel starts this message off with a very important word. It's a little short word, only two letters, but it's if. It's a conditional word, and it makes a big difference. If you want to return to the Lord, here's what I want you to know. God has given you free will. You don't have to respond to his calling at all. You could, if you wanted to, be talking to your neighbor, your spouse, whatever, about what we're going to eat for lunch. You could do any of these things because you've got free choice. In fact, do you remember the church in Laodicea that we just read about? Jesus told me, you've got the choice to make a decision if you want me to be king. He said, this is what Jesus told the church of Laodicea. Right after he said that about them, that they were poor and blind and necked, he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If, catch that word, if anyone hears my voice, and if anyone opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. I will come into him. Man, I'll take over your life. Give me your life. I'll make it worth something. Not just the things of this world, but spiritual effectiveness like you can't imagine. If you would just open the door. But so many times we turn away from that type of commitment because it costs something. But I want you to understand this. It is up to you. You have the choice. Did you notice in that passage when Jesus spoke to the church of Laodicea, he didn't say, I'll kick the door down. He doesn't do that. How does that door open? You have to open it. It was in the country of the Gadarenes. You maybe remember the story, the demon-possessed man that lived in the cemeteries. Jesus delivers him from the demons, sends those demons into some pigs. The pigs run down and drown in the lake. The people come out at seeing this great miracle. They tell Jesus this, please leave. <laughs> and you know what Jesus did? He left. Hey, look, if you don't want Jesus around, He's not going to force you to that. That's why Samuel, when he starts this message, he says, if, if is such an important word. 
if you want to return to the Lord fully, if you want to return to the Lord with all your heart, do you want to return to the Lord? Here, I'm not talking about a half-hearted, I'll give him a little bit of myself, a little bit of my time, a little bit of my energy. I'll give him a part, but I won't give him all. That's called lukewarm. And what Jesus told the church in Laodicea, I'll just spit you out of my mouth. Elijah called out to the people of Israel. He says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord Jesus Christ is God, if he's king, follow him. If this world is all that there is, then fine. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. But make a choice. Jesus doesn't want fair-weathered friends. He wants those who are prepared to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. So one of the first things you know what we have to do? Eliminate the competition. That's right. You've got to eliminate the competition to your heart. And here it's called idols. Samuel told them to destroy their idols. You think, oh, man, I'm clear on that one. i got no idols. Well, let's look at Colossians and look what it says there. It says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. That's kind of like getting rid of idols, isn't it? It says, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an, what is it? A dollar. Worshiping the things of the world. Now, be objective, be honest with yourself. If someone were to look at your life, I mean, 24-7, seven days a week, what would they say you worship? What, what would they say you value? Worship is worthy. We worship God. He's worthy. We give him worship. What would they say you consider to be worthy? Eliminate the competition. I love what I heard this one time as an illustration. You know, in a Chevrolet Silverado, that's a pickup truck, uh, you could carry in the bed 1.66 tons of gold. Now, there's, more, there's room for more. You could put more back there, but the suspension couldn't handle the weight. That's why some of you say you need to get a Ford. Hold more. But still, just that little bit would be worth $106 million. Dude, you'd be set, wouldn't you? Now, I wonder if we were to convert that gold to heavenly currency. Did you know you can do that? Yeah, if we convert that gold to heavenly currency, what would it look like? So in heaven, gold is used as what? Pavement. <laughs> That's what gold is worth in heaven. Pavement, man. You walk on it. Could you imagine one of your neighbors, you see him out there with a chisel and a hammer, and he's tearing up the street, getting the asphalt out, and he said, uh, what are you doing? He said, man, I'm going to be rich. I'm getting all this asphalt. He said, are you crazy? I wonder if in heaven they look at us trying to gather so much wealth and spending so much time on the almighty dollar. They said, they're crazy. It's worth nothing up here. You cannot take it with you. What is it? vying for your affections that's an idol what is the world telling you that's so important that's more important than your affection for christ and you're believing it that's an idol get rid of it and then turn your hearts to the lord you can say tune your hearts to the lord see the bible says that from within out of the heart of man perceive evil thoughts adulteries fornication sins of every kind but um, instead of your heart 
really striving for selfish desires. You should be asking yourself, when you're turning to the Lord, you're asking yourself, not the, what do my selfish desires want, but what does my master want? What does the king want? What will please my heavenly father? I mean, you go to the point which we'll all come to and say, what would cause him to say at the judgment when I appear before him, well done, my good and faithful servant. Are you living for that moment? Are you passionately living for the kingdom? And then obey him alone. That is really the greatest indicator of revival, is obedience. I mean, a lot of people, <laughs> they have some crazy, have you heard of like a revival happening here or there or whatever? One of the craziest ones I heard of, I think it was Toronto, they called it the laughing revival, okay? Where people would just start laughing. Now, first of all, I don't see that in Scripture, now, I'm not saying there's not joy. There ought to be joy. But people look at that is revival because people are laughing constantly. Many people think that great emotion has to be shown to the point of, in fact, being strange. But let me tell you, the greatest sign and indicator of revival is not laughing. It's not emotion. It is obedience. If you see something that's called a revival, and the gospel's not being preached, then I can tell you, that's not a revival. And so we make a commitment. We make a stand that says we are going to obey the Lord. This same Samuel would later tell King Saul, who says, man, I'm doing all the uh, uh, stuff that you want me to do. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, trying to obey, and he wasn't. He kept stuff he wasn't supposed to keep. And what Samuel tells him, he says, listen, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. And stubbornness, stubbornness to have my own way, stubbornness to do what I want to do, stubbornness to forget what the Lord wants, take care of number one, me, Stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. So revival has to start with each one of us, a personal revival in our own heart where Jesus takes undisputed first place. But if we're going to experience a revival that sweeps across our church and our community, then we have to do it together. We have to gather together. Look what Samuel does next. So these different Israelites, they're saying, I'm tired of life the way we've been living. We want to live for the Lord. Then Samuel told them, well, gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in a great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. Now, let me say this about Samuel. He was a godly man. This was a man who was undergoing revival, like on a daily basis. He lived for God. He preached the word for 20 years. But there was no revival. Samuel had revival, but Israel did not have the revival. And the reason is, is that believers who are passionate for Jesus Christ have to come together for revival to occur in our church and in our community. It's never one man on an island by himself. It takes the church together in the power of the Spirit under the banner of Jesus Christ for revival to occur. So revival happens together. Together we pray. Prayer is indispensable. Every revival that has ever, ever happened has been birthed in prayer. 
We have to come together for revival. Well, that's nice. When does Northside? Y'all know where I'm going, don't y'all? When, when, when does Northside come together for prayer? Wednesday nights, 6 o'clock. We gather together to pray for revival. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. Well, maybe a little bit. But I, the reason I'm saying this, listen to me. The reason this is even in my message is because I want revival. Man, I feel closer to the Lord than I've ever felt in my life right now. God has blessed me in ways of just his presence and being close to him. But I want revival, don't you? Is that something you want? Then we've got to come together and we have to pray for revival. That's what Samuel did. They came together and they prayed. But listen to me. We have about a thousand here on Sunday mornings. We have 40 on Wednesday nights. Revival is not going to happen like that. Revival comes as we pray together. And together we surrender. We're, together, we, we're saying together, arm in arm, King Jesus, whatever you want, <laughs> we surrender. You know, when they poured out the water, that was really the significance of that. Water in that semi-arid country, that's life. Water was life there. And they were pouring it out saying, you're more valuable to us than life. We're pouring out our lives to you. And you know something about when they poured that out? You couldn't gather it back up. <laughs> It was poured out for good. In fact, in Romans, when it says to us to present your body a living sacrifice, that, that verb there, present, is present once for all. Present your body a living sacrifice and don't take it back up. Make the commitment and stick with it to that day you come into glory. But it is a commitment that you have to make, that the church has to make, and we have to do it together, every one of us. And then together we confessed. They got together and they confessed their sins. Earlier we talked about they recognized something was missing, but they also recognized, they had to recognize something was wrong. And what is that wrong? It's sin. That's what's wrong. <laughs> Plain and short of it, it's just sin. Psalm 66 says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. He will not hear my prayers. I have to confess that sin. But here's the good news, the great news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you know when we confess our sins together as a church? Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock, right before we take the Lord's Supper. <laughs> Not out loud, by the way. We do it quietly, silent confession before the Lord. But if we want revival, we're going to have to gather together and seek his face. The question really comes down to, it takes us all the way back to how Samuel started this. If, if you want to turn to the Lord fully. Look, I know I'm not naive there are some here they're not going to turn to the Lord fully they got things on their mind their values 
having an impact for the kingdom, serving him 24-7, that, that just is not appealing. But let me ask you, have you noticed, maybe just a little why, something is missing in your life? There's not true joy. The joy of serving a king who loved you so much. There's not, not true contentment. A contentment and a joy that is there regardless of circumstances. And what I'd like you to do is just bow your head, if you would. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to listen. Just Listen. Right now, have you say about your life, you're busy, but you're not satisfied? You have worldly success, maybe, but you're not content. You go from one trial to the next and have forgotten what true joy is. Then return to the Lord. Hear me, return to the Lord this morning. You can do that. If you want to. No one can force you. I can't. Jesus won't. No one forced the prodigal son. He just came to himself. He woke up and said, I am so tired of this pig slop. And he returned to the father. If you want to return to the Lord, then you're going to have to give something up. You may have one or more idols. They have got to go. You have to surrender to him. You have to make that decision and make the commitment to obey him alone. When Israel was ready, I hope you're ready. When Israel was ready, Samuel prayed. This morning we have an invitation. You may want to, to gather together at the altar and ask God for revival in your heart. And come on, lay it down. Give it all to him. We'll have a song. Don't feel compelled to sing. If you feel compelled to pray, pray. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. There's one other group I want to talk to. For some of you here who do not need to be revived, you need to be resurrected. You're not right with God and you know it. You never really have been. Toyed with religion when it was convenient, when it didn't cost too much. Well, let me ask you. You're not sure of your relationship with Christ. You've never really made a serious commitment. Let me ask you this. Do you want to be made right with God this morning? Do you want Christ's righteousness it will cost you everything. You'll have to quit the sins you love. You may lose your job. Your family may hate you because of the commitment you make. But you need to know this. Following Jesus is always right. But rarely is it easy. If you're here today and you see that losing everything is worth gaining Christ then this is the place for you. I mean, really, that's what a church is. 
of people who have counted the cost. And they're imperfectly denying themselves and carrying their cross. I'd love to speak with you. If that's you, just come down. Don't worry about what other people think. Man, that's not important. Just come down during the invitation. Come speak to me. And I will tell you what it means to follow Christ, how to make your faith public and be a part of this church. I'm going to pray. And after my prayer, the altar will be open for those who want to avail themselves of it. Well, Heavenly Father, I thank you for this, that Jesus continually calls our name. He continually knocks at the door of our life. He doesn't give up. What I'm praying, Lord, is that there are there are men and women, boys and girls, this morning that would open the door. That would say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into every room. Take possession of my life. I want to live my life from this point forward for your glory. And Lord, for those who are here and they don't know you, oh God, move them, convict them by your Holy Spirit that today is the day of salvation, that they would receive you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I would ask you all to stand.